Sonic States. Hello and welcome. Sonic Talk number 120 feels like a, an important number. If I'd thought about it more, I would have given it some importance and perhaps cracked open a bottle or two. But, you know, <laughs> perhaps it wasn't such a good idea. I am actually driving home. Uh, let's just see if Rich is with us. I know uh, he's been in the Caribbean. I got an email from him earlier. <laughs> Uh, right, let's have a look. Uh, uh, well, actually, which reminds me. Well, I'll, I won't play it now because um, I want to. Uh, I want to save it because PJ said he might join us. Hmm. I think it's unlikely because he's on a boat in the Caribbean. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Rich. Hey. Hey, I can feel your tan from here. <laughs> no, just, no. Believe me, you can't. <laughs> oh, really? Can you? Can you feel your tan, or was it um, hurricane season? No, no, it was gorgeous. It was look at the go on Facebook and look at the pictures. It's, it was ridiculously beautiful. Oh, so and it was it was way beyond anything I've ever stayed at. It was amazing. To give you a hint, we had we had a staff. The four there were four of us staying at this villa, which consists of four bedroom pavilions that are separate, and uh, a main house and a private pool, and a staff of two cooks and two housekeepers. Wow. <laughs> That I've sounds. Never had, I've never. No, no, I've never done that either. No, when I, no. Maybe when I used to live at home with my mum, <laughs> was about close. <laughs> so, um, Rich, perhaps you'd. Um, well, hello, Rich Hilton from Connecticut. Um, works with Nile Rogers. Uh, is just back from the Caribbean, where he's been designing a studio. I hope you managed to fit in a um, flight out for the Sonic Talk podcast team to christen the studio into the budget somewhere. Um, well, I'm working on that part. Okay, yeah. I'm still working on that part of the budget. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So you went out to your kind of designing a studio to go into this luxury ca- ca- um, accommodation. That's right, isn't it? That's right. Just to give it some context, because people who maybe are listening for the first time will wonder what the heck we're talking about. So Richard's been asked to design a studio on some amazing island with villas uh, in the Caribbean and got flown down there. Was it? Did your um, good good lady go down as well? She did. So you got to scope it out on the, on the jolly. Fantastic. Absolutely, it was un, it was incredible. Well, I I'm very envious. But anyway, I'm glad for you too. Thank you. It's and, kind of you, Nick. <laughs> in a sort of seething, slightly, uh, slightly. Yeah, I see that. Yes, I see that. <laughs> and then also we have Dave Spears from G4 Software. Oh, hold on. Let me. I'm a miss, aren't I? Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius, of course, um, to see the pictures of the Caribbean caper. And, um, More to come. Dave Spears. To- yes. Well, we'll look for. I'm going to head over there as soon as I've, uh, I've got the spare bandwidth. Uh, Dave Spears from G4Software.com, who I believe you've been out. Um, uh, getting delivery of your 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 american purchases you've had some stuff shipped over yes yeah we have well actually we've been moving stuff out of here so i've been moving mixing desks and flat cases and stuff oh you're gonna have it all in your house yes my god you're gonna have to get an air conditioning unit how are you gonna get a four a four manual chamberlain with power supplies and um voltage changers in that room without toasting yourself well, that's my studio tan taken care of this year. Ah, uh, yeah, that'll be hard to beat. A radioactive one. You'll be, yeah, you'll just be kind of <laughs> basking in the glow of valves. <laughs> There'll be an enormous electromagnetic field that's just cooking you slowly from the inside out. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, well, we've got to get them working. Uh, well, they work, but there's, there's a few things that we have to do before we can turn them on. 
I feel like a kid at Christmas who's got a fantastic toy but no batteries because <laughs> you have to you, you've got to bear in mind that this is motor driven and there are four motors in it and they're 60 hertz oh of course so it won't even work it won't work on the uh, on the the thing here so we need to um first of all get voltage converters and then we need to get cycle converters oh right of course so it's a bit like being at that Christmas. Shouldn't add to, that shouldn't add to the weight much then, should it? <laughs> oh, Christ. I mean, four motors, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm, I am envious. I haven't got anything new myself, although I did order a uh, an Alpha Track, uh, a Frontier Designs Alpha Track, because I'm going to be, I've been uh, asked to do some session work, and I thought, oh, I'll buy myself a new toy just so that I can, um, I don't know really why, that was a bit stupid, to be perfectly honest. But anyway, I did it, but I'm looking forward to it. That's my new toy. Um, but I want, I want to play something just in honour of um, PJ, who PJ also was headed to the Caribbean this week, and he's on a sort of delayed honeymoon with his uh, his good lady wife uh, on a cruise in the Caribbean. So this is in homage to PJ, just quickly. And also, I wanted it just in case he did actually ring up. Anybody recognise this one? Exciting and new Come aboard We're expecting you There we are, that was just a bit of the theme from Love Boat which I hastily threw together ten minutes before the show uh, from a YouTube um, recording but, you know, it's the thought that counts, isn't it? Did nobody hear that? Oh. I was dancing. Oh, I was the horse did it. I was just picturing, I had this uh, fantasy of uh, PJ, you know, what would you do if you were PJ? Um, try and get onto the podcast or continue playing coits on the deck wearing a rather fetching captain's hat and a white tunic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have that image fleshed out pretty thoroughly there, I Nick. did. I was, I, was, <laughs> I was riffing with it earlier. See that? He got a webcam in his room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with a feed only to myself and... <laughs> the rest Uh-oh. of the world no it's not <laughs> like that. the tentacles of the sonic state podcast reach yes far they reach wide. far hey so um well first of all um rich so you just bought your new mac right mm-hmm. and there's some new ones out isn't that usually mm-hmm. the way it goes always that's, that's usually With me, always within a month you have to wait until the, the hardware and stuff is stable and you know enough people who are using it so that you can go right it's safe and at that point that's when they usually bring out something new which is kind of what's happened. So uh, just a quick... Exactly. With the new Macs, uh, I've got the new Intel i7 CPU design, which has got some kind of incredible multi-threading. And what's really weird is, at the same time, they've put all their prices up, certainly in the UK, because of the, this dollar discrepancy, because now we're down below 130, uh, 138, something like that, which is kind Woo-hoo! of low. Um, so it's great in terms of some things, but it's bad in terms of other. But um, and one of those is obviously buy Matt. So what they've done effectively is put the price up enormously. Perceive this is I'm talking perceptions here. These new Macs, there's a quad core and an eight core, but the, the on the quad core, the the the, the sort of stated CPU speed is two point two six, which seem to uh, which seems re- uh, sorry two point six six, which seems a bit low when you think you know you're up to two point eight two point nine. So it doesn't look. I mean, I'm sure. This isn't the case because the new, um, I can't remember how you pronounce it, Nahalim or i7 processors 
apparently are really really efficient um in fact uh it has a completely new way of accessing ram there's no system bus the cpu has a direct pipeline to ram which is now triple channel which means you use three sticks at once uh running at one gigahertz so it's kind of probably quite oh nephilim is that what somebody said i'm not, i don't think that's right so um and i haven't bought a mac recently but unfortunately the only thing that they've upgraded that i could possibly afford at the moment is the mac mini which isn't looking that you know not looking that exciting but um, oh, so it Mac- looks nice. It does. It's look green. Cool. They say it's green. It they should have made green. it green. Look, so that would be <laughs> exciting. I like the idea of some green sort of diecast aluminium case. That would be cool. Unibody aluminium in a variety of diecast colours. Woo woo. Anyway, I guess none <laughs> of us are about to purchase. Uh, Rich, you've got yours. It works fine and everything's fine. But I just thought it was worth mentioning. Um, but it is worth mentioning also. Firewire four hundred gone from the lot on the new. Oh, mark, I didn't. The the Mac uh, Pros, the Mac Mini, and the iMacs, all gone. It's all FireWire wow. 800. Perhaps we should hold a funeral. Akai Pete says at least there's still FireWire 800, and I would agree, because uh, that, be, that would be pretty bad news for almost everybody if there was no FireWire. <laughs> Did anyone see this um, um, Vince Clark interview? Yes. On yeah. Metro, which is a kind of uh, Metro, is a fr- is it a free paper? They print it, and apparently they give it away in uh, London, and I think we get it in the Bath as well. It's a UK paper, but it was an interview with uh, Mr. Vince Clark, um, which are quite rare and hard to come by. This came via Dave Robinson, uh, who was uh, who just said, "Oh, check it out." And one of the quotes I really liked was uh, uh, he uh, when asked, uh, "How do you get your ideas down?" He said, "We sit with a pa- piano, acoustic guitar, and a micro cassette recorder." Uh, then you can work out some chords, progressions, and melody line and go over that. Once we have the basic tune, the chord changes, I'll go into the studio and write the music, and Andy will write the lyrics. This is underlined. We never write with synthesizers, otherwise I get sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I think he's got, he might be onto something. Because there's all this sort of, you know, you get all these kind of modular guys and everything. There's been some great modular patches posted up on YouTube recently, but you just think, how long would it have taken you to set that up? I mean, could you imagine writing from writing a song from a modular patch? I don't know. That would be pretty tricky. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a sort of, it would be like a curse. Perhaps. I think, I think it would be. Did you see it anyway? Did you have a look? Anything, anything catch your eye in that particular interview? Any revelations that you thought um, needed um, airing here? Really? Not really. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, hold on. The, well, it's too early for Tumbleweed. Come on, we'll have to do a bit better than that. No, the, 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 when they asked, what's the best song you've ever written? And he said, we're very proud of Blue Savannah, which I thought was just abhorrent. But then, that's just me, isn't it? I couldn't help but notice all the, because I was looking on YouTube for the, the good um, Erasure tunes. I know there are a few, but I'm not, I, I'm not a fan, so I don't know, I couldn't recall them by name. But uh, um, almost exclusively, none of them are actually on YouTube. And uh, one thing I did notice, there are no official videos on there. They seem to allow live footage to go up, but they've obviously had a pretty good job um, of... There must be a policy of them sort of taking down anything that's kind of properly recorded or or the actual official videos. Um, And so I didn't find that because I I thought... um, And the other... So I was exposed to quite a lot of Andy Bell dancing on stage. Which is a bit. What's that dance called? Which is kind of pretty funny, where you kind of hold your hold your leg up. He's got a very um, he's got a very distinctive dance, and it's not really. I wouldn't say it was ready for arena exposure, and it seems to be that's what he's doing. Mapster, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? He, he's dancing really badly on stage in front of hundreds of that because they do massive gigs and stuff, don't they? 
Um, but the other thing yeah. that was quite interesting about it at the end was um, he basically uh, also hinted that, uh, uh, do you hear a big change in the sound from analog to computer synthesizers as you've gone over your back catalogue? Which I think is quite a probing question for a, uh, a free newspaper in the UK. Um, and he said, definitely, the analog synthesizers do sound warmer. I know it's a cliche. I've just reassembled all mine, so the next Erasure album will revert to that, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, because he relocated, didn't he? he? Moved from the UK to the US, didn't he? Yeah, well, he was saying that's how he got into Max, because uh, basically uh, he couldn't take it all with him to New York. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Because like, well, Gareth Jones does his... Um programming didn't that's he? right he said uh, on the last album he he did an album with gareth jones and he saw he was using a mac setup and he moved to new york he couldn't take his equipment with him so he was forced into learning this kind of whole new software which is de- incidentally is a mac with logic audio but it does seem like a a strange jump when you've got you know mr patch lead and system system 100m and all of that stuff and he's he's just like the rest of us it's all just going to be bit crusher <laughs> from now on, isn't it <laughs> funny, how, funny how that works isn't it I know. Are we in? Da- I mean, I know. I have brought this up before. Are we in danger of all kind of sounding the same? Starting when? Starting. Know, starting <laughs> how now. many years ago? Yeah. Starting okay. how many years ago? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I suppose. Uh, I, I, you know. I, well, anyway, um, it's an interesting interview. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Obviously, not interesting enough to uh, to yield enormous <laughs> revelations to our panel. But you know, I try. I do my best. But I've just been asked by DP Tronics, Howard, Howard Jones, how was Howard Jones in Bristol? Because this morning I went over to the, well, I didn't realise this, they unveiled the V-Piano, uh, the Roland V-Piano, which, which was, in fact, the first public international, international public unveiling of the new uh, Roland um, uh, modelling synthesiser, modelling piano technology. And it was a really good presentation. There was all sorts of kind of bigwigs there. And uh, John Mull did a brilliant demo and uh, Howard Jones was there, but unfortunately they were running a bit late and I had to get back um, to um, to do the podcast and prepare. And I did get a chance to say hi and thank you to Howard, who I don't know if any of you saw, he posted a, l- a bunch of videos from On the Road, which we uh, released in a series of three. And uh, he was a very nice man, but I didn't get a chance to see him perform, unfortunately. So I don't did have you an answer. The, did you hear the piano under I anybody's hand? I did hear the piano. Um, while it was very impressive... I think the fact that it was demonstrated by um, a, essentially a, a pianist, he didn't take it as extremely to the edges of what it could do as I would have liked. He'd sort of turn it, turn it, he'd do something like he'd take the damping, uh, he'd take the hammers and make them uh, really soft and mushy and turn it right up and then play like, you know, a bar. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I want to hear more of that. That sounded really interesting. And then he'd go, but that's too far. And he'd sort of bring it back into this kind of, now it just sounds like a normal piano, but a bit brighter or a bit harder. So... There was quite a lot of subtlety that was a bit lost on me, frankly. But I think mm. it's... I, I spoke to a couple of people who are pianists who were really excited and thought, wow, that does sound really good. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The funny thing about modeled piano guys, you know, the people who put them out, is they all want to show you how they can make it sound like everything but a piano and how easy it is to detune individual strings and how easy it is to soften up the attack and how easy it is to bow it with a violin bow and how easy it is to do all this stuff that has nothing to do with why I want to play piano. No, I suppose. So as a pianist, as a pianist, I'm always amused to the point of near, you know, guffaws when I see these guys demonstrate. You know, like you watch the Roland V piano videos, which I think are 
fantastic in terms of the way they sound, and they spend so much time showing you all this other stuff it'll do. For me, the challenge in the piano thing is what happens in the piano behind the attack as the notes combine. That's the difficulty in the realism to get, you know, uh, whatever, you know, 73 samples to play in tune full length without looping at 12 different velocity levels. And, you know, in a pleasing individual way is, has been accomplished now. We've seen it by a number of people and it's and it's fine, but it doesn't sound like a piano when you get 20 milliseconds past the attack because those things never combine in the way that they do in a piano. They don't support the strings don't support each other you don't get any kind of glorious resonance out of the box that you get from a piano Mm. anyway it was it was good fun go and check it out if you can and i rich i'd imagine you're probably one of the guys who really needs to get their hands on it and just make your own assumptions because i think you'll probably find the you'll be able to analyze it in the way that you need to analyze it to figure out whether it's something that you would want to use um i'd like that Mm. very much well maybe we'll make some calls or something anyway um so uh thanks to sean and of course roland uk are sponsors of this podcast we just like say hi and uh, your ad will be coming up later on so uh the other thing i found uh, as a topic was this energy xt this simple clean cheap door environment um did i and i downloaded this and had a look and i thought it was uh, it's quite impressive it's like a six meg download I mean, it's tiny it costs 59 euros if you buy it as a, a demo um and it runs VST instruments. It's got you know all the sequencing stuff. Dave, have you have you had a chance to look at this? Uh, no, only at their site. I'm I'm vaguely familiar with it. Uh, some people that I know use it and love it actually. Um, but it's got I mean it's got these standard sort of mixer sequencer, and but it's also got this kind of interesting modular environment where you can just dra- which is a bit like Logic's environment, and you just kind of drag and drop things into the into a patch patchable window uh with effects units and but it's very very simple there's no clutter and mess in the way which i think maybe for people who are just getting into this kind of thing is a pretty good idea because i mean as as we i mean even as professional users of things like logic and pro tools and what have you i mean i don't know rich how how many what what percentage of the features of pro tools do you not use do you think in your everyday usage of it i think i don't use a great percentage of them because many of them are geared towards people who are different, doing different kinds of work than from what I'm doing, particularly the post guys who have a handle on a whole area of the program that I like know nothing about. But on the other hand, I'm sure I have a handle on certain things about the program that they have nothing, you know, no knowledge of because they don't get to do it every day like I do. So I think all of these programs are so incredibly broad at this point that they have to cover such a wide range of working styles and, and professions that it's inevitable that uh, very few people, I think, would know the entirety of any one of these things. But it's sort of an interesting idea that, you know, this is just something that kind of works and that's all you really need. Oh, uh, yeah, this is great. I love the look of this thing. I think it's fantastic and it's a cool price point. It offers a tremendous number of features and I love the way it's kind of in the face of the big boys a little bit, you know, a lot of features for a small amount of money. And it, and it runs um, on, on Windows platforms. I mean, I think it runs Vista as well as XP. It runs on Mac, OS X, and it runs on Linux. So I'm guessing you could probably run it on a netbook. It, they say it runs on OS X? I didn't see that anywhere. Yeah, Is yeah, I'm, right? I'm running it here. Well, I'm not running it. It's not my main thing, but I, excuse me, oh, okay, I, I downloaded it and I had a, had a quick play with it. I didn't get a chance to get really thick and deep into it because obviously the thing that we... You do take for granted are the thing and the things that make a lot of these things deep and work well is the depth of usability, the way that you can 
whiz around it fast you know how much of it is driven by the mouse and how much of it is driven by kind of key commands and clever things like like certainly in logic one of the things that i like is is the modifier key so every time you press it you know your uh your your tool turns into an alternative one and i always use it for slicing stuff you know those kind of things are the things that make everyday use of something like this much more important uh, much more of a uh, of an issue i agree for me it's all about yeah. workflow yeah yeah, I, I think that's. I mean, I didn't realize this, but you know, one of the things that uh, has come up recently, particularly at kind of there's lots of these high level video shows and what have you that we've been looking at recently because we're kind of moving into the world of designing workflows for our own needs. That there are companies that d- that that's all they do. You know, they sell workflow methods and what have you, and it's it's a whole kind of micro industry surrounding all sorts of things. Really, quite, and I guess it must happen with training for do- uh, for Pro Tools and all of that sort of stuff too. Um, Rich, have you have you found that you've had to modify much of your workflow when you're now you're working? Are you are you using the latest version of tools in in the production environment, or are you still kind of getting to know? Well, there's always a little bit of both, um, but I do have Pro Tools 8 installed. I haven't done a tremendous amount of studio work on it since I've installed it because I've been involved in the studio design of this other place. So, uh, But to answer your question more directly, um, I find that anytime I switch either software, like when I go from one sequencer company to another, or fr- through a major upgrade, that I have to create a, se- a separate – I take a day – and I'll create a session just around the idea of learning those things so that sure. I'm learning them away from the, the flow of needing to, you know, the professional demands. And uh, we, uh, so it takes me a while to develop good habits and get used to the key commands that run these particular functions and things like that. And in any of these environments, much like playing the piano, you want to get to a point where you're not thinking about the technique of doing it and you're just applying your creativity to the task. And yeah. the technique just kind of flows out of you because you've practiced it all. So you know which modifier key brings up that sample slicer you were talking about before. Or I know, you know, which thing gets me in Elastic Audio to be able to slide that thing right where I want it and then attach a little anchor to it and drag it to the quantize point. Or what, you just learn how to do those little things that you need to be able to do repetitively all the time. And then uh, all of a sudden it just happens behind you and you're just thinking and things are happening. That's a really interesting analogy about the kind of you you put the practice in essentially. It's like it is like learning an instrument, isn't it? Because I remember when I was uh, just starting out in bands, um, you know, I'd concentrate on just getting the notes right, and then when I'd figured out that I could play it all quite easily, then I used to be able to have a lot more fun and jump around and kind of all of the things that were the creative mm-hmm. side of playing live and, and think about that. And mm-hmm. so it sort of applies to using software as well. And that's the thing I find. If I've gone for a long period of not using, say, Logic, because I work a lot in Vegas because I edit all the video and I do um, the podcast every week in Sony Vegas, which has a different timeline and w- uh, workflow to Logic. When I come back to Logic, I'm kind of scratching my head for a bit and it takes me a little while to get back up to speed, which I guess is the same if you haven't played piano for a while or guitar for a while or whatever. Absolutely. And all the really, well, not all, but uh, quite a few of the best players that I, you know, you'll read interviews with, say, jazz guys, talk about getting past technique, letting your technique become, you know, fall into the background. It's not something you have to think about. You're just executing things. Mm. And it's true when you're playing a saxophone. And it's true when you're playing the piano. And it's true when you're running a DAW. You've got to get past the technique in order to be able to use the thing really creatively. 
Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And that's, again, one of those things that, you know, you have to, the software has to not get in the way in terms of bugs and what have you and errors and annoying ways of things. In fact, um, somebody says, MCAL says, Rich, please don't set our task to use all eight cores, Error City. Very good. But Energy XT, uh, basically, yeah, six megabyte download, modular environment, uh, VST instruments you can add and play. It's quite clever because you can just kind of go, oh, here are my VST instruments, and you just add folders wherever you like from around the system, and it will add them all into the thing, and it, it seemed to work pretty well. And he got a te- um, top 10 products from Winternam 2009 is XT version 2.5. Dave, I don't suppose it's, you know, if you've got all of these other doors, it's unlikely that you're going to be using it unless perhaps you want to install it on something that's that's a bit more challenged in the CPU front, like, um, you know, a, a netbook or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's always good for us to use different stuff for testing, you know, as much stuff as possible. But I mean, most people, you know, I, I kind of wear several hats. You know, if I'm working here, then it's all in Logic. If I work for somebody else, it's either Pro Tools or Logic. Um, so it seems to be kind of pretty much split between those two. But yeah, useful for testing. Do you do a lot of stuff in Pro Tools, Dave? I didn't know that you were a Pro Tools kind of guy. Do you find, have you, have you got kind of hot chops in Pro Tools or is it merely, I mean, because I, I don't. I, all I know how to do is export stems. Yeah, most of the guys. <laughs> Consolidate <laughs> audio. <laughs> That's exactly what most of the guys I work with, they use it as, as a kind of recorder, really. And then we export those OMS and then um, um, bung it into Logic. Or maybe even take audio from Logic and put it into Pro Tools just for a kind of mix session or something. But uh, no, I wouldn't say I'm completely hot on uh, Pro Tools. I'm more the Logic guy. I'd like to. I would like to get into it. It's just about a matter of time. And now it's got much more of a kind of... Uh compositional environment i think it's something that would be applicable you know maybe it'll give me more of a stimulus to, to stimulus to actually learn it because i can do things in it that i can do in logic i, I think like- certainly if i was starting out again i'd probably start with you know pro tools le and then work my way up i'd probably not go the logic route uh, now that the midi I- stuff's more you know more yeah. sorted rich you were going to come in there well I've, having started sequencing things in 1982 and been through quite a few of them, it, on some level it doesn't matter, and on another level I do like working in what I'm working in. But I used to, uh, before Pro Tools I worked in Cubase, and before Cubase I worked in Synclavier, and before Synclavier I worked in Performer, and, it's, and I have Logic now, and I can work in it, and um, they're all good. And yep. uh, Pro Tools does fine with MIDI, and uh, I'd like. I'm still waiting to meet guys who actually work in score mode a lot. Yeah. yeah, you know, like everybody touts it. Like, guess what? You can now print out scores. Well, first of all, I don't know all that many people anymore that read scores. But second of all, I don't know anybody who wants to work like that. You know, like who works like sequencing like that. Now, maybe I'm going to get a chat room barrage now of people. Who- <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really don't believe it. Yeah, almost everybody works piano roll. Um, you know, there's just a couple of good, and actually, it's become sort of broadly, you know, accepted the piano roll thing, it's, it, which actually descends really from Roland's early drum machines with that grid, mm. at some level. I suppose. I mean, you know, do you think they're just trying to go for the? Uh, hey, we're in the studio, the orchestra are, are ready, and the director suddenly changed things, and you need to suddenly print out all these scores and hand them out to the musicians. You know, it's just sort of covering your ass kind of feature rather than oh, it doesn't ha- but it doesn't happen like that ever i mean th- talk about printing them out quickly it takes me 10 times longer to generate any given score <laughs> with one of those things than it does with a pencil and paper <laughs> yeah it does i mean almost literally <laughs> 10 times as long 
I do have a very good story about the Symphonic Rolling Stones session where a certain programmer took all the MIDI data in and printed it off on a dot matrix printer for the orchestra. At the session, while they were waiting. And yes, I think that was 50k <laughs> down the drain. <laughs> oh, so by the time the session had been it was over, he was just printing out the second copy of the score. <laughs> you can imagine. Anyone got it. a spare ribbon? <laughs> It's just the noise as well of that, those dot matrix printers made. You can imagine the control room. <laughs> oh, how embarrassing. That's an error that won't be made again, I suspect. Well, speaking of unwise things in the studio, you like what I did there? There's a nice link there. Uh, the reason this came up was because um, I just bought the Alpha Track, uh, the Frontier Designs Alpha Track, which I'm liking the look of a lot because it's, it's a little bus-powered thing. I haven't got it in my hands yet, unfortunately, because the uh, people I bought it from, who will remain nameless at this point, unless they really do piss me off, um, <laughs> said they had a problem with their system and that I wasn't going to... I thought I was going to get it on Tuesday, and they said, oh, no, we uh, we had a problem. It might come this week. I'm like, well, anyway. Anyway, that... But while I was researching it, um, I saw a couple of people talking about other products, saying, oh, that was the worst thing I bought. I, I had it... I tried it for this long, and then I just took it straight back. And I just thought, oh, there's an interesting topic. The most unwise or disappointing, perhaps, studio purchase. Uh, and I, I, I'd like to go first. Uh, I'm assuming the Frontier Designs Alpha Track won't be the most disappointing. But I would say for me, and I'm sure I've spoken about this before, is the Mackie 2408. Or I think I got a 328. This is ages and ages ago, the original 8-bus. And, uh, you know, it's a big investment. I had to totally redesign all my patching and wiring and stuff. And then I plugged it in and I really didn't like the sound of it. <laughs> That was pretty disappointing, I can tell you. Um, but I wondered about anybody else. Rich, you must, you know, I guess we kind of research, you know, any kind of impulse buys or anything that you, you perhaps it didn't do what you thought it was going to do or whatever was disappointing. I, we don't want to kind of obviously pillory any manufacturers here if we can help it, but hey. Well, I mean, I, not so much things that I've bought. In other words, I'm, I'm really struggling to come up with... I know there have been ones, and this is part of the way I'm made up psychologically, is I just kind of put them out of my mind and move on. So I know there have been them th that have come through at various times, but not even so much that we've bought, just things that I've ended up using in a studio, or somebody would come and demonstrate their new thing, and I'd say, yeah, but what if you needed to do this? And they look at me like... Well, um, uh, we haven't really worked on that yet. Like, we did, they didn't imagine that people would need to unmute, you know, more than one thing at a time or whatever, you know, just I've, so I've had a lot of those experiences and I've consulted on gear a lot over the years and, and tried to make certain things better. So I see, so I, in short, I see things all the time that make no sense to me. I see omissions that make no sense to me all the time, but I don't really have any direct memory of buying a thing and looking at it and going, you're bad. <laughs> out the door with you mm. i suppose the thing is also is you know it's like you kind of think oh i'm gonna I, I i was i went to a studio and did a session and i really wanted to use the dimension d and i got everybody excited about it and then i plugged it in and i just thought oh i thought it was gonna be a bit better than that <laughs> and i tried everything you know plug it put it plush in all the buttons in at the same time all the things you're supposed to do and it just sounded like a, it just didn't sound it sounded totally inappropriate and it was really embarrassing because i i kind of made a case for it and it was just wrong, 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 with a capital wrong. <laughs> How about so, the Moog Source? I was disappointed with the Moog Source. <laughs> really? I was. I yeah, really like uh, But again, I really like the idea of that, because it was like... I went back to my Multi Moog, because it sounded better. Really? I didn't know about the sound of it, but I did... Um, 
I did I did always want one of those, and I still do, and I don't know why. I just like the look of it. It looks kind of – I'll tell you what it reminds me of, of those home electronics – building block sets that used to you know put things together and all the bright colors it's got a sort of toy-like quality to it but i suspect it sounds could sound good don't know i don't know obviously not yeah well uh, it was it wasn't the worst thing in the world but the filter wasn't happening like it was in the prior models and uh and i was i remember being disappointed with it most of most aspects of it what i did like about it was that big heavy data knob that you could just spin and it would turn forever it had like this remarkable uh inertia kind of thing going on with it yeah it i just, like the look of that even though the resolution was probably 28 steps <laughs> well you had to spin it a couple of hundred times to get from zero to 100 but it was but still you know i seem to remember cool. reading something about it, it was a custom design knob because nobody was doing that sort of thing am i right i suppose, or, uh, yeah, God, I suppose it must have been it was it was heavily machined much more so than most of what you find on music gear Right. It had a very heavy and solid feel to it. Yeah. The whole instrument had a solid feel to it, actually, but it just didn't sound as good as the previous instruments. Um, I've just I've just noticed, um, in fact, you're sitting next to John Bowen in the chat room there, Rich. Uh, you're Hiltonius, hi, John. and John Bowen is below you in alphabetical order. Nice. So I'd just like to say, what? hi, John Bowen. Hope you're well, and uh, I guess it must be morning time where you are, so hello, hello, hello. John Bowen, of course, um, about to start or oh, production run must be kind of revving up about now um for the solaris super synth mm. 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 but dave you don't get off lightly you haven't said anything yet <laughs> i thought i'd escaped <laughs> yeah no no that's the thing where there's only three of us there's nowhere to hide i do know somebody who does use the moog source live uh last cool. time i heard he was using it with massive attack and loves it and loves it absolutely loves it and makes it Good. scream and do all sorts of things uh which i found quite strange because i never really got on with it uh dodgy purchases um i have to say i was quite disappointed with my abraham expander when you compare it with a um, you know loads of filter modes and all the rest of it very very nice but when you compare it with a benobbed synth it's quite uninspiring really um, but I think for me, and I'm going to get into trouble over this, I know the worst purchase I've made in the last year was Fab Four. I was really, really disappointed oh, with it. Oh, is that the um, East, East West Beatles sound-alike library thing? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of, you know, there was a lot of hype, and it was like, you know, we spent a million dollars on this, and I was looking forward to the Baldwin, Harpsichord, and all sorts of stuff, but... I played it once. I'm, I'm kind of doing this project about growing up in the 60s and 70s, and I thought this would be perfect for it. And it just kind of nothing really fitted with what I was doing. So, yeah. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I, is that it? I expect <laughs> to get into trouble for that. But there you go. <laughs> I suppose the thing is also, if it's a software thing, it's kind of, you can't just think, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll just take the hit and sell it secondhand. Because you can't really do that, can you? I mean, or if you can, it's all a bit of a... It was an impulse purchase. I'd, I'd got that East-West, uh, you know, the Symphonic Library, uh, and mm-hmm. it was th- it was in the native player originally, and then they kind of swapped it over to play, and then there was no update for the universal binary, so I had to go and buy it again, as it were. So I did that, and then just saw they had a deal on the Fab Four and thought, okay, I'll get that. And uh, just, I don't know, it just didn't happen for me. And I played it to Chris, and I was like, you know, great, we'll get some really nicely, beautifully compressed drum kits and guitars and all sorts of stuff, but it just didn't do it for me. Oh, damn. Well, that's a shame. I've got Oliver Davis here, um, Circuit Symphony, who I met this morning at the Roland V Piano Bash. He must have finished and got home. That's pretty good going. Either that or he's in his hotel room. Uh, (laughs) But hello, we were just talking about uh, unwise purchases, and I know 
Oliver um, is a mad collector of synthesizers and uh, and all sorts of stuff like that. And there was this thing that was that he posted on SonicState.tv, which was actually I forget what it's called, is Roland RSS VC something or other, and it's basically uh, a load of VCAs controlled by a SMPTE sequencer, so that you can actually um, almost automate a whole yeah VCA at hundred, which so you can automate mutes and volumes. You sort of patch audio signals through it. If you see what I mean, and I've never seen one before, and he said he picked it up for like sixty quid or something. Amazing, amazing stuff. But that doesn't—I I don't know what it does. But <laughs> you know, as he said, it makes it warms it up a bit, but it looks nice. So those are the only two purchases. Any any other ones? We can we not eke any more out of out of any of any? I suppose not, Dave. No, no. I don't think so. Um, You—I I think that's the thing. Research, isn't it? You kind of see it. You do it on recommendation and go, yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, which I do do a lot of, probably a bit too much. I can't buy anything without actually going completely into detail over the most minute detail, and it all gets absurd when really I should just kind of go, I've already decided that I'm going to buy this and just buy it. (laughs) I wonder about that too. (laughs) Once again, thank you very much to Roland UK for sponsoring the podcast, and it's about time for a Roland ad, uh, as is their want. And we'd just like you to take a look at the Roland Phantom G8 which is an amazing workstation, 88-key weighted keyboards, 152-track sequencer, studio-grade effects, sampling, audio playback, and all sorts of amazing things for the live and studio musician. Uh, comes in 88-key, uh, 76 and 61 keys uh, also. Uh, go check it out at roland.co.uk slash phantomg. And once again, thanks to Roland UK for sponsoring the podcast. Well, there we go. Um, Akai Pete said, ah, I love it. I'll name that tune in one. So I think he, he has. Uh, that was Machine Gun by Portis Head, who are um, canvassing for opinions on how to uh, move forward with record sales. Because uh, like a lot of uh, acts, uh, they're sort of coming to the end of their publishing and, and record label agreements. And they're sort of thinking, what should we do? What's the model we should use to kind of reach our fans? You know, what's the best way of doing it? Because they don't really they're in the fortunate position of having quite a large fan base, a big brand and, you know, an, an, an open palette on how to uh, distribute their music. Um, they actually said uh, with the world being the way it is, and there are lots of options open, open. Uh, if you lot have any, any bright ideas of how we should sell our music in the future, let us know. Why not? Uh, and then uh, Jeff goes on to say, I don't think that we're into giving music away for free, to be honest. It takes ages to write and we have to heat our swimming pools. Uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> good lad i just wondered whether or not there was any um anybody had any ideas of what they might do i th- <laughs> think that the underworld guys do a brilliant thing and i think it's very similar to the nine inch nails vibe where they sell stuff via their site so they had this project called river run project and they sold three um there were about 20 25 minutes each three downloads that came out i think probably about a month apart and they were five quid and it was brilliant so they still release hard copy stuff and i love cds because obviously the quality is better than uh, any mp3 download and uh but actually i think it was probably a good way of raising money for them 
and uh, it was great for the fans because you got it immediately. You didn't have to traipse down to HMV and whatnot. So, yeah, that's my advice for what it's worth. So do the same thing, just sell direct digitally? Like our friend, yeah, like our friend not, Josh Freeze? Yes, yeah, maybe, but not quite as excessive as that. Maybe you could go paddling in the sea with Jeff Barrow at uh, Porter's Head on a no- November morning. I probably would with Aid Utley. Yeah, well, Adrian's a, a, a good lad and a, 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 a long-term um, friend, so, yeah. I'd like to see them succeed, obviously. I mean, because it must be, in some ways, you know, being there and then sort of having to take care of all of that stuff, it must be kind of quite a diversion. I don't know. I mean, Rich, do you deal with many people who... I mean, because I guess a lot of the projects that you get coming through working with Niall come through the traditional record company route, or am I wrong? Not necessarily. Uh, there, it's a broad range of things that we do, first of all. And uh, even as far as the music projects go, we do a lot of development projects with artists that some of whom have be- since become extraordinarily famous and some of whom have gone back to work at other things. Um, so we do a lot of different kinds of things uh, as music. It's not all high-profile stuff. And in fact... Um, well, I'll just leave it at that. It's not all high-profile stuff. Right. I wonder if there are any other models out there, because, I mean, obviously, getting you've got the relationship with your fans, and you can kind of communicate with them directly and sort of ask what they want. I suppose you could do. But I, I wonder if that's a bit dangerous, you know, because they might suggest things that, you know, you find totally un, ab- abhorrent, in the same way as, you know, a badly uh, advised A&R person might say, hey, guys, what you need to do is... <laughs> cue inappropriate suggestion but when it's coming en masse from your fan base you could really kind of put people through the rack couldn't you kind of if you if you spam their forums and saying what you need to do is basically print out a load of blah 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 blah, stand on a hill and then uh, where you know whatever (laughs) you know what i mean you could actually uh, you could you could do some some quite devious and deviant things well if you're if you're like me you didn't get there by listening to what other people told you to do well maybe maybe that's the danger isn't it and you know that if you open it up a bit too de- democratically, then you'll end up with some sort of committee designed um, how we'd like our band to be, and then everybody would be pissed off because it wouldn't be unique. Well, and, the, uh, and, and on the other end, not to put too fine a point on it, but if they knew what to do, they'd be doing it. Yeah, I suppose. Lots of people have opinions, though. Well, we all do, don't we? That's why right. we're here. <laughs> if you didn't, it would be a waste of time. But yes, I suppose. Rick, uh, Dave, you were, you were about to chip in there, I think. No, I just think that's a very, very good point. I mean, the thing is, most successful artists have just been true to themselves and they've kind of ignored, you know, populist opinion and just kind of carried on doing what they do. And eventually what happens is people come around to their way of thinking and go, actually, those guys are genuine, the authentic article, and they'll come around to your way of thinking. Mm. I think it's quite important. Yeah, I think so too. You got to figure out what you're supposed to be doing and do that. Yeah. Yeah, because we all know in the studio, there's a million different inputs going in. And people will want you to do a lot of different things, and hopefully you get a long enough career that you get to do them all. Well, that's <laughs> right good, now. That would be right good. now, you do what you belong doing. You figure out what that is, and you do that. But in yeah. some way, I suppose, really, you know, it's the world's their oyster. It's an exciting time. Presumably, they've got some money behind them. You know, their deal's running out. But then, I guess, if they've budgeted correctly or, you know, however it works they will be in a situation where they have to raise some cash at the beginning of the project because they're not going to be borrowing it effectively from the record label. So it's going to maybe influence the way that they, or, or any band, do, does think because they think, right, we need to raise something to kind of get the project started. I think the key thing as well is profile. 
I mean, bands like Portishead and Underworld and Nine Inch Nails have already got their profile radiohead. But for somebody starting out, how are they going to establish you know themselves as a kind of viable product, as it were? You know, because it's the internet is just a sea of noise and stuff. To raise above that somehow is very tricky. Whereas I think these bands who have come from the kind of CD age are in a reasonably fortunate position. And to go along with that, Dave, I also think that there's a kind of instantaneous notoriety that occurs nowadays to people who are, uh, by any measure of stardom, quite common. So it's not at all unusual for an extremely common person, say you or me or anybody, to all of a sudden become like instantaneously, you know, gossip show famous for a week or two you know like in, in other words you don't even have to be bizarre to be noticed you could almost be too normal and be noticed at yeah. this point and, yeah. and so there's that part of it too so uh it's nice when a for example a really talented songwriter also happens to to latch on to that whether it's because he has a famous girlfriend or because the discovery looks like some kind of college sophomore or whatever so um there's both you know what i mean there's that mm. uh, there's the old cred that you talk about, and then there's new cred that happens like instantaneously out of nowhere for these, some of these people. Yeah, has it got the longevity though? I don't know. Oh, uh, well, yeah, for some maybe. maybe, for some yeah. maybe, but I don't know. And is it satisfying artistically? It seems to me we're really addressing ourselves to two separate questions here. One of which is artistic. What do you do? Well, you do what you're supposed to be doing. And the other one is pure marketing. Well, how do you get anybody to notice that we're doing it or care about the fact that we're doing it? Yes. Yeah, I'm totally unqualified on that second one. It's interesting. There was a very good uh, interview with Richard Branson over here on the TV recently, and he was saying that when he started out, particularly with Virgin Airlines, um, he took advice from Freddie Laker. Do you remember the Laker Airlines? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he said that actually to get the column inches, you have to use yourself. So that's why Branson's a bit of a kind of PR stuntman. I think that's right. I mean, and I think, you know, this is one of those things that the model is is – is kind of ever changing and at the moment it's it's really down to kind of just figuring out and what what tends to happen is you know a band like nine inch nails or underworld or radiohead do something and everybody goes yeah that's the way to do it and it's not always the way to do it it's a way to do it and i think there are many and they are legion and that's kind of up to the band in this case Porter's Head, to kind of try things and see which works for them and their fans because it's going to be different for everybody in some ways hmm uh, oh, look at these. Aren't they nice? Did you see those? The felt yeah. synthesizers? Mm. Yes, yes, they're cute. Aren't cute. they cute? Nine cent- There's a little felt mini Moog, nine centimetres long, six centimetres high, and nine centimetres wide. Uh, it also is from a chap called Pulse Width, with the so part in brackets, from Australia. Um, he does ARP, Odyssey, Juno 106, CS70M, MS20, uh, mini Moog, SH101, amongst and a few guitars and things. And... Um, they're nice. I'd lo- I I kind of want to own one. They're 65 bucks though, um, and 10 bucks delivery. So, I mean, obviously a lot of work goes into it, but he's, since the news item's been going around the place, there's been, he's been rapidly going out of stock. Did you buy one, Dave? No, I didn't. I thought they were cushions at first, which is funny because, not this Christmas, the last Christmas, um, my wife made me a cushion out of some old tour t-shirts that I was very fond of, but I can no longer fit into. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was an inspired idea, actually. Uh, and so when I looked at these, I thought, oh, great cushions. But then I looked at the size and went, blimey, they are really tiny, aren't they? Yeah, really tiny. Oh, are they? They're that small? Teeny weeny, teeny tiny, yeah. You see, because I was going to say that as a, as a pillow concept, the ARP Odyssey looks great. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, if that were about pillow size. Yeah, not sure about you get the back, You get that back plate of the Arp Odyssey right there up under your neck. Oh, that could be really nice. <laughs> Take it on a plane and everything. Yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, Yamaha yeah. thing would be a little too much, and the Rollins are a little flat, but the Arp Odyssey one looks perfect just for under your neck there. Yeah, it's that's great. a good, but maybe there's a market. Oh, maybe Pulse Width will pillows. get in. For 65 bucks, it should be a pillow. Yeah, right? I think you a know, pillow is a good idea. Pro pillow or something. Got to expand. Got to think big. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you should do it. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about an MS-20 for a pillow, though. That would be a little bit... Uh, <laughs> a but even the Minimoog's a, a bit tough on that level, you know. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I think um, maybe if you're listening Thank Pulse or so, or, uh, might be worth branching out into that. And probably a bit easier on the eyes. You know, not, not buy all those late nights and by, by candlelight, sort of looking over a tiny, tiny little thing and sewing it up must be quite hard work. Oh, that was me messing around with it at the same time. That is uh, an, a guitar, um, a modelled guitar synth working uh, scripted in uh, ActionScript 3 in Flash. And that application is a 2.4K download. And it's by a guy called uh, Andre Michel, who's one of the coders working behind the Hobnox audio tool. Uh, and not only is that there, there's all sorts of other little widgets and audio things that he's just coded in Flash. So these things run right at the browser. And it uses something called car plus strong synthesis, which is, um, as, as I understand it, you take uh, a, a short burst of noise, you feed it into uh, a filter, and then uh, a delay with a feedback loop. So you get these kind of pitched um, oscillators, I suppose, is what how they work. Is that about right? Something like that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know, but I've Hello? heard it referred Just to me, for then. years. And- is everybody there? Nick can't hear us right now. <laughs> What do you want to say about him? Uh, you know what happened there? I'm sorry about that, folks. You know what happened there is when I turned the master volume down on my clip playing thing, what it actually does and doesn't tell you, it turns the volume down on the Mac rather than just for the application. So that is a very poor piece of design. Don't! Oh. There we go. I'm actually blushing. If you could see, I, I've, I've, gone, I've, gone, I've gone like a beetroot or, a, or something. I... Matt C says pilot error. I'm, no, I think it was programmer error, actually. I'm not going to take responsibility. Like Gordon Brown, I'm not going to say sorry for that. So, so what did you think? Nifty or a complete waste of time? Dave? Uh, I'm really sorry. I didn't get to check this out. I did, uh, as you know, I came in 15 minutes before this started, and I launched the page, and it said, please install the latest Flash player, which was 44 megs, and I thought, uh, I'm not going to get time. Yeah, no, I, that's so sorry. Uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm I, well, I'm, I can't actually do me tumbleweed moment because I've just quit the application that caused me the grief. But I'll, I'll boot it up again just in case. <laughs> uh, so, Rich, are you going to help me out here? Did you get a chance to see this? I'm afraid not. Oh! It was only just now that I figured out what you were talking about, and I saw the follow-up email. You got to understand, I've been away for the last. Yeah, week. I know. I okay, didn't get, I didn't get. I'm catch, struggling to catch up here. Well, you know so, what? Uh, last last week we finished on a tumbleweed moment, and it looks like we're heading that way this way. So, this for those of you who are not familiar with the show. Every time I maybe uh, introduce a topic or something that just doesn't kind of fly and nobody has anything to say on it there's a sort of short sample of tumbleweed there just for you thank you was that you on the harmonica rich 
It's simulated harmonica. <laughs> so yeah, that was my last topic. I think we've done very well. There's only three of us, and we've there is also the processing audio with Photoshop, which, judging by the reception of the last topic, uh, is unlikely to have uh, garnered much. <laughs> Actually, I looked at this. Oh well, anyway, but I think Mark, <laughs> Mark was Mark, who is at the zoo currently. Apparently, if you're following his Twitter feed, he's uh, he keeps posting things about uh, animals looking like various people. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is this is uh, processing audio with Photoshop, and Mark said he'd like to be in, in on this. So let's leave it for uh, for another week when Mark will be able to um, join us. Um, Can I end on a positive note? Yes, end on a positive note. For God's sake, uh, I've been trying out a couple of new things. Um, Stylus RMX with the GrooveLock thing is out now, and that's very very good. Oh yeah, they announced it last week. Have you da- have you downloaded it? Yeah, downloaded it yesterday, checked it out. Very nice, slinging stuff into odd-time signatures. Quite impressed with that. In fact, very impressed with that. Uh, and then Daniel Miller of Mute Records recommended something called Numerology, which is a kind of modular sequence, hard uh, software modular sequence thing. And it's really good. Oh, right, okay. So there you go, my two recommendations for the week. That makes me feel slightly less guilty about giving Fab Four a hard time. Is that, what is it, who, who makes it? Uh, it's a company called 512.com. Michael Jim Coker. Um, but it's very good, very good, very good indeed. Very impressed. Numerology. Okay, well, we'll check Ooh. that out. Thank you. High praise. So, uh, well, uh, thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, we obviously didn't get PJ here, so I didn't get the opportunity to play the theme from The Love Boat, but I'll play us out with it, I think, just to kind of... Um, obviously, I'll do that in the edit, because it, it means that when I... Uh, anyway, it's a not very interesting story about uh, what the audio routing intricacies of my system, but I can't play it and listen to you lot at the same time. So uh, I think we'll leave it for that. But uh, anyway, thank you very much to everybody in the chat room. Again, another bumper week. Uh, I think Stickham just about held up for most of this. Um, so thank you very much, everybody, and thank you very much for uh, my guests for joining me this week. Uh, n- none other than uh, Rich Hilton from Camp Chic, um, Presumably off to work at uh, Le Crib with all your lovely new digi gear. Uh, might be doing the studio design process here ah. from uh, Hiltonius Central here in Newtown, Connecticut. Okay. <laughs> but it's always a pleasure. Does that Pardon? involve some kind of special software packages that you can, for laying out kind of um, for studio type furniture? In that regard, I work so primitive, it's unbelievable. As it relates to this particular studio, there's almost no physical design because it's going into an existing space. So it's really less of a studio than it is a room full of gear from a technical standpoint, okay. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other I words, see. I'm not building a control room. I'm not soffit mounting big monitors. I'm not running mains power from the street. I'm not doing any of that. It's just really just putting together sort of a digital audio workstation-based environment uh, in, a, in an existing space. Well, good luck with that. And uh, once again, thank you for joining us, Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius, to see what a great time he's been having in the Caribbean. And Dave Spears, G4 Software, thank you for joining us. And I really appreciate you coming back uh, and um, getting us uh, getting to the show in time. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm off to shift some more gear and get an even worse back. Well, don't overdo it, because, you know, <laughs> I, and tell, tell Chris to, um, to watch his back as well, because I know he had a bit of a bad one, so make sure he doesn't yeah. overdo it. Yeah, we were lifting this thing, and we were both looking at each other, and we knew exactly what each other was thinking. It was like, whose back's going to go first? Yeah, well, don't do it. Okay, guys, well, <laughs> thank you very much. I'm just going to go and uh, cut the live feed so that we can um, do what, you know, say all those things we've been dying to air, but we don't want the world to hear. <laughs> that was um, Sonic Talk number 120. Love. 
Exciting and new Come aboard We're expecting you And Life's sweetest reward Let it flow It floats back to you 